So I want to talk about ATF, the pistol braces. There's a legal fight that's going on. And so the pistol braces all came about where, I mean, really it was started to help vets that had lost, you know, typically an arm. And so the, the pistol brace typically goes around your forearm and your hand goes in the grip. So it enabled these guys to be able to shoot and train with their guns. And so over the years, there was the, was it SB Tactical, I think it was. They had several of them that they submit. I think the ATF approved a couple of them as, well, if you've got this on the gun, it's not a short barrel rifle, it's a pistol. And even when Trump was in office, the ATF was basically trying to undo that and go after these pistol braces. And now that Joe Biden has been in office, the people that he's got running the ATF now... Then they just basically wanted to say anybody that was using a, a pistol brace is basically pistol brace has turned their pistol and or their pistol rifle into an actual short barrel rifle, which falls under the NFA, the National Firearms Act, meaning you got to go through another background check and another process, wait up to a year, 14 months, whatever, and pay an extra 200 bucks, another tax to to the government for the privilege of just having a rifle that's a few inches shorter than a normal long rifle. And so there are millions and tens of millions of these things in society. And so in essence, what they're trying to do is make all of these people felons overnight. And if they don't like you, they can use that to come after you and put you in jail and prevent you from ever owning a gun again, because now you're a convicted felon, and so that is working itself through the court system. And so, uh, was Firearms Policy Coalition, yep. And was there a few others? Or just uh, yeah, we've got so so Firearms <clears throat> Policy Coalition, Gun Owners of America, as well as the Second Amendment Foundation. Their uh, members were initially covered under that initial injunction uh, in the Fifth Circuit that came down on the brace issue. Now there's a nationwide injunction that covers everyone, whoever owns one. Um, so it has for all intents and purposes, been sorted out in the courts. And, you know, the ATF is likely going to um, take this it, back I to assume, court right? and appeal it and everything like that. But, you know, it could go to the Supreme Court. And honestly, if it does, it's going to have to pass the brew and smell test. And remember that all of this stuff with braces happened under Obama's ATF, right? So we're talking a, a Democrat-controlled, uh, you know, majority ATF that, you know, is under Obama's marching orders. They approved the original brace letter, okay? Then what the ATF tried to do is, is backpedal and say, well, we're not going to tell you what you can and can't do with these braces, but we're not going to issue individual determination letters uh, for various devices anymore. So it used to uh, be you could say, here is a configuration of a certain gun, and I want to know if it violates the NFA, and I'm going to submit photos and a sample and send it over to the tech branch, and then the tech branch would issue an opinion letter that said yay or nay. Right. So the way that they put a stop in that is by just refusing to offer any more opinion letters, any more determination letters. So a determination letter was sent out uh, with the original um, SB tactical brace design, and it was found to be uh, completely not in violation of the NFA. I mean, the ATF sort of, you know, de facto improved it. Right. They basically said, hey, you're good. Yeah. okay. you're, You're good. It's not a short barrel rifle. This is totally legal. Right. It was a pistol with a brace on it. Well, uh, the floodgates kind of opened, and then, you know, people started putting folding mechs on them and then making braces that, you know, had all different types of configurations and things like that. And 
um, the ATF didn't like it because they thought that, you know, people were skirting the NFA or something like that by, by having these types of devices and things. Um, it was originally uh, made to help people who, you know, suffered injuries and, and couldn't hold up an AR pistol very well. Most of these people are wheelchair bound and things like that. So it is a helpful device uh, as a prosthetic device is what it was originally um, approved as. And I think if there were some distinction that were going to be made, let's say if we looked at the FBI crime statistics, okay, the crime statistics uh, are broken down into a lot of very useful data. Like we know how many people are murdered with rifles, with shotguns, with pistols, with gravity, with water. I mean, look, like we know what kills people. We keep very detailed records of all of this data. So if for the 12 or I think it was like 12 or 13 years that braces have been on the menu, they've been legal, uh, and they've been out there, like at the tune of, you mentioned 10 million, some estimates were that there could be as many as 40 million, like some crazy amount, like it's an ungodly amount of braces that are, that are purported to be out there. Well, uh, if, the, if the FBI wanted to draw the distinction, the clear distinction between a rifle and a pistol equipped with a brace, like let's say that Braced pistols started showing up in a ton of crimes. I'm talking actual crimes, not just showing up in a drug raid and then there's a braced pistol and a pile of drugs or something. That's not the same thing. We're talking about a verifiable incident where a braced pistol was specifically used to murder someone and then it becomes a part of the FBI crime statistic data, right? If that statistic was so damning and important for the FBI to draw that conclusion of why braces needed to be banned, then wouldn't they have set up a pool of data specifically to target those particular items as being some sort of crazy problem? There, there is nothing in the FBI crime statistics that specifically tailor braces as a specific item that is separate from rifles or pistols or shotguns, right? So it's kind of weird, too, that they also don't make a distinction between a handgun, right, a regular pistol like a P365 or a Glock 19, and like an AR or AK pistol, what the ATF wants to consider a large frame or rifle caliber pistol or something like that, like a Draco that shoots 762 by 39 or an AR pistol that shoots 300 blackout or 556. For the purpose of this argument, we'll just say, let's not worry about AR pistols and other PCCs that shoot 9mm. Let's just say rifle calibers. If there was a distinction that was so important that it was some crazy violence epidemic that was occurring as a result of these, these things being the gun, out there, the violence don't of, you? The epidemic of gun violence. Right. If that were true, don't you think that the FBI crime statistics would make a distinction, right? If there's a category for rifle, shotgun, pistol, whatever it is, wouldn't they create a category for that item in order to prove the point? Hey, we had to create this category because this is showing up in an, in a, an extraordinary amount of crimes compared to the other gun designs. But that's not true. The statistics can't back it up. The FBI did not make the distinction of, well, we're going to make this other category. Wouldn't you make that category? So there's a lot of things like that. When you think about the clerical and paperwork side of law enforcement and the, and the reporting side of all the data and everything like that. The ATF doesn't have a ground to stand on when they're the ones that approve these things from the very get-go. Obama's ATF could have easily said no from the very beginning, but they didn't. And they allowed these braces to be out there and, and get into the wild for this period of 10 or 12 years. And now what we wind up running into is 
the braces are now in common use. So there are a lot of things to consider with this Fifth uh, Circuit decision that now has a nationwide injunction because... And the injunction basically means that the government cannot, the ATF cannot enforce this new rule that they came up with. Right. So it's illegal for them to do anything with it. Right. It, you know, it's been, it's been proven that irreparable harm will come to uh, anyone that owns a brace pistol in terms of the compliance. Like, they're going to be out hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in order to comply. So there are financial repercussions, right? There are legal repercussions in terms of, you know, hey, what about Joe Blow that doesn't keep his ear to the ground on everything that's going on in the 2A world, and you went to Walmart or wherever, or that's probably a bad example, but you went to your local gun shop, and bought a braced pistol with a factory brace on it, and the guy at the gun store sold it to you, and it was all good, and all you know is, hey, cool, like, the guy at the gun store sold it to me, so it must be legit, like, it, yeah, it wasn't illegal. Yeah, did a background illegal. check and everything. Right, you did a background check, so what? Now you're going to be riding along, minding your own business, and you're going to get pulled over by the police, and they're going to find it, and now you're all of a sudden a felon, and you didn't know. So see, the burden of proof in terms of what they have to, to prove uh, of you and, and your intentions of owning that particular type of gun or whatever. It's like that there's so much irreparable harm that can be caused to you um, through this. And it also goes against the Administrative Procedures Act as well. So there's a lot of reasoning that they give in some of the detailed dissertations uh, that the Fifth Circuit put out in terms of their reasoning for why they had to you know, have this nationwide injunction. Now, we do expect the ATF to fight this in court because, of course, they have unlimited money. Uh, they can just print money with a little machine, right? Like, they don't care uh, how, how long it takes or how long they drag Their it out. budgets are unlimited, They basically. have an unlimited budget. And they also have the political winds in their sails uh, to, to get everything they want in this matter, right? They have the full backing of the current government at the highest level uh, to attack all of us and try to turn us into felons overnight. Uh, you know, I think there—I forget the name of the gentleman that, that made this particular statement. But it was one of the people from the Russian KGB— and he basically ended up saying, hey, you know, when it comes to how are we going to nail this guy, right? Well, if you show me, you, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. So this isn't about like, well, someone broke the law and now, you know, it's a, it's a cause and effect type situation. No, what they're doing now is they're going, well, here's this pool of people. Here's this 10 million, 12 million you mentioned, or let's just say upwards of several million people that own these devices. Like, ooh. Here's a big dragnet we can throw out. And if we just say all these people are now illegal, so see now, they're, they're, there's the men. There's the, there's the 12 million men. All right, now let's make the crime. So see, that's the issue. It goes completely against our checks and balances. Like none of this went through Congress. This is not a law. This is just someone's bad opinion that carries the weight of law. And that is the issue. And part of the Fifth Circuit's determination on this injunction is that the enforcement is going to cause absolute irreparable harm to many people. I mean, I think it's safe to say a $100,000 fine, 10 years in prison, upward to including potentially them coming and shooting your dog and, and kicking in your door in the middle of the night. I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty severe penalty. out of you. Right, that's a severe penalty, right? So um, anything that involves law enforcement and the potential for death or harm or dismemberment or, or, or heavy fines or the loss of your freedom, it would seem obviously quite uh, important that those types of decisions need to be made through Congress. So if something's going to have that type of heavy enforcement action taken against it, uh, especially if it involves your freedom, like your literal freedom, your life, you know, if it's going to involve that, I think it's at least important that the people have a say and that, that your representatives have a say in that. Because 
we have an elected government, you know, like our government or re elected representatives that are there to represent us and to take our grievances to, to heart in terms of this. So when you have unelected bureaucrats in, a, in, a, in an alphabet agency that can just swipe a pen and go, well, Daddy Biden said this is so, and then here's the rule, and we're going to treat it like it's the law. That's not, how this, that's not the intention of how we are meant to run this country. It completely negates the checks and balances that, that, that define the very way that our country operates. Well, this whole thing started, what was it, a year, year and a half ago when I remember reading about this, and they said, well, you got like 90 days or there, there was a, I don't know, I can't remember what the window was, like 90 days or six months, they said, this is our grace period. If you've got one of these pistol-braced weapons, then register it and, you know, we'll forgive you. And then I saw some of the attorneys that are saying, if you send your pictures in and your documentation, you're basically saying, I did this. That's an admission I, of guilt. Yeah, exactly. And so... What about all those? I would imagine some people complied with that, and so now right. they've basically put themselves in, in legal jeopardy, I would think. Well, there are, think about all these people that have come out now and said, well, now that this injunction is nationwide and everything like that, how many people have I seen that have said, I got a free SBR out of the deal? Ha, see? Well, I, I didn't have to pay $200. I got a free SBR through this, so, you know, the joke's on them. Well, yeah, see, the rat thinks the cheese is free. Cheese ain't free. The cheese ain't free. It's in that trap for a reason. Okay. Every rat thinks the cheese is free. There's no such thing as free. If something's free, you're the product. <laughs> that's true. It's like Facebook. Yes. <laughs> you're the product, baby. You know, and that, that's the thing. Like, if they dangle that carrot and say, well, you can get a free SBR. Well, yeah, I can also tell you that I had an illegal SBR by saying, by admitting that and sending you pictures of it. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. How about not? My recommendation always from day one was to tell people to just be low-key about it, ignore it, and it's all going to sort out in the long run. And we knew from day one that this wasn't going to hold water. We knew it. But, so, of course, you have, to go through the you have to go through the motions. That's what this all comes down to. It's always, you know, a legal game of cat and mouse. Yeah, because under, under normal circumstances, you look at what's, you know, the people on the left are always attacking is the NRA. But quite frankly, over the last several years, I don't, the NRA is never involved in any of these things. It's like they're not doing anything to go after this kind of stuff and supposedly stand up for the gun rights of Americans, even though that's why they exist. It seems like they're most of the executive staff and the politics. I mean, I'm a lifetime NRA member, but it just seems like it's a, most of the money is just spent by the people that run it, and they're really not doing anything to help keep our gun rights from being infringed on this. And so you got Firearms Co Policy Coalition. We've got the Gun Owners of America that you're involved in, and then there was the Second Amendment um, Foundation. So foundation. And so... All these three groups are actually spending money and legislating and going after the government and suing them in court. And so, like, in this case, the Fifth Circuit has just said, you know, you, you cannot enforce this. And so what's the process now? Is the ATF working to, to appeal this? And who are they going to appeal it to? And how many more levels can they go before they get to the Supreme Court? And they go, they just throw it back to the lower courts and say, hey, Bruin, come on. Well, you know, the difficulty in this is that Getting a gun case to the Supreme Court is not quite so easy, right? You know, it's a highly politicized type of an idea gun ownership is, and it shouldn't be politicized. 
it's our right. Is the freedom of speech politicized in any way? I mean, if you think about your rights in terms of a grocery store list, okay, think about this. We're the founding fathers, and we're sitting around a fire-lit chamber, and we go, all right, let's make a list. What, what's important, right? What, what do we want to tell, tell the king, F you, this is not, you know, we're not going to touch these things. These are, these are sacred to us. Well, think about that grocery store list. What's at the top of the list? Milk, bread, like the things you don't want to forget. You're going to put at the top of the list as being most important because you don't want to forget it. And the things at the top of the list are the building blocks of everything else on the grocery list. I can't make a, I don't need to buy jelly or bologna or cheese if I don't have bread, right? So that's the same thing with our, our rights, okay? You know, freedom of speech, boom, number one, put that at the top. Well, what if, what if people are put in an environment where they can't protect, what, how are they going to protect what they say? If we have the freedom of speech, but what does the freedom of speech mean if we can't defend what we say? Well, then when we need to have guns, we have the right to bear arms, Okay, so see, those things are, are so resolute in, a, in each other for that reason. They, they support each other. They are the literal fangs. If you've got a whole mouthful of teeth, the First and Second Amendment are the largest, most gnarly teeth that have the most power to bite, you know. And that's the way we have to look at it. Now, the ATF, yeah, they're going to try to throw this up uh, maybe to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, will they take this case? Well, um, you know, they have shown some you know, some willingness to want to hear more uh, gun cases in the Supreme Court. I believe it was Kavanaugh, if I'm not mistaken, that said, hey, you know, the Second Amendment has always been treated like a second-rate right, and, the, and, and I want to see the court hear more Second Amendment cases. I mean, when you break down all of the Supreme Court cases um, and, ha and what type of things have been um, heard by the Supreme Court, I mean, I don't want to give exact numbers off the top of my head, of course. I don't have the information in front of me, but you're talking hundreds if not thousands of First Amendment related uh, things have been heard by the Supreme Court, Fourth Amendment things, all these other types, of Fifth Amendment things. But how few cases have actually made it all the way to the Supreme Court in regards to the Second Amendment and been, you know, heard our way? And that's a pretty short list. So I think we're long overdue for a situation where, okay, fine, ATF, you want to take this further? Go ahead. Appeal it. Let's go to the Supreme Court. So the only place to go from the Fifth Circuit Court is to the Supreme Court. I believe so. Yeah. So the so ATF, if they're going to try to fight that, they're going to have to go to the Supreme right. Court. Now, the Supreme Court could shoot it back down to the lower court. You know, they could just say, hey, mm, we don't want to hear this. I mean, just because there's some crazy issue that we're like, wow, we want to take this to... You always hear people say, yeah, let's take this to the Supreme Court. it back court. to the Fifth Circuit? Right. So right back to the judges that already said you can't enforce this. Right. But but at the but that's still you know some sort of a victory right if if we know that wherever it lands it's going to be shot down well then then that gives us what we want I mean and how I, long is there like a moratorium how long can like say oh well we'll just wait out till we get a few different Supremes in there and then we'll appeal does that mean like ten years from now they can go try to appeal that you know I, that's a good question Corey and I'm not going to claim I'm not a lawyer so I, I, I'm just a guy that I, I try to kind of have my 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 ear to the ground and sort of process all of this in a way that I can try to explain it to, to people that make sense to them. Um, I don't really understand the legalese at that level. Uh, I can get that answer for you. Um, however, one thing that I would say about this whole process, though, is that I think there's never been a, a, a better time right now for, um, for the Supreme Court to hear Second Amendment-related cases, right? Like, we know that in the, uh, in the Michael Cargill case uh, with bump stocks, that is going to the Supreme Court, Right, and we're going to see That's some injective relief. Oh yeah, I don't see how that is going to not get thrown out. 
Right. So, see, if bump stocks get thrown out, well, then by proxy, so Because that was Trump that other, banned those right, supposed Trump, Republicans. Trump used the power of the pen to ban bump stocks. Well, we have to call that for what it is. But if we know that if any one Both of those things— Both sons are very pro-gun. Any one of those things make it to the Supreme Court and get thrown out, and the Supreme Court says, hey, you can't abuse the power of the pen to bypass Congress, especially in an enforcement area that involves people's freedom. All right, we know that's the case. We know that's true. But until the Supreme Court says it, until it's in black and white, um, you know, all right, so say that the bump stock uh, case gets thrown at the Supreme Court and they go, hey, you, you can't do this. It's unlawful. Well, then by proxy, that also means that any other power of the pen that's been used to abuse Chevron deference, right, that those also must be by proxy somehow illegal too, like the frame and receiver rule, the brace rule, um, any other type of ban where the president says, well, I'm going to use the power of the pen uh, to uh, press this administrative agency to carry out enforcement action based on my political whims that happen to go against the Constitution and, and the rights of the people. So, you know, it's a long-term battle. It's an uphill battle, but I think it's a battle that we're actually winning. Like, you know, the, the district courts are handing out some doozies, and the Supreme Court is handing out some doozies. Like with the New York State and Rifle Pistol Association uh, versus Bruin, like, we see that the Bruin case gave us some great relief. It gave us a great smell test that the federal government has to adhere to in order to justify their reasoning for gun laws, right? You know, they have to provide some historical context and reference to laws that existed in 1791 at the time of the, you know, well, at least at the time the Second Amendment was, was drafted in 1791. They've got to be able to go back to 1791 and say, hey, at this time, this is why this gun control now is valid, because we had a historical analog from back then that says, hey, this is what we did originally. So that's what Bruin does. It provides that smell test. Though the burden of proof is now on the government to prove that their gun control, that they are, you know, even gun control that's already passed, the NFA, uh, GCA, all these other rules that we have to follow, that, that we've allowed these things to propagate, right? We've, we've allowed even groups like the NRA to actually have a say and, like, how these gun control laws are written, like, like they help write the NFA. They help write, you know, write these bills. So it's like when we look at that, it's like we're having to live under this. We're having to be subject to it, right? You know, we're having to go out of our way and, and allow ourselves to be subject <clears throat> to these laws. But Bruin changes that. Bruin puts it into a perspective where, you know, they're going to have to dig deeper and, and prove historical analog, you know, text, traditions, historical analogs for uh, gun control that was of the same type of, of, of type that we have now. All right, show me a law in 1791 that says you can't have a short rifle or a short shotgun or a short pistol or, or, or in fact, a law in 1791 that, uh, that, that banned or, or, or regulated any type of firearm. You could have a warship in 1791, you could get your privateer, sign off as a privateer, and buy a warship with cannons and grape shot, and <laughs> go out and be a, pri a private pirate for the United States government at the time if you wanted to. You could buy a whole warship and hire a crew and run your own private warship. 